Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, the prayer of our heart is, is really that text that Lorraine just read. Lord, we pray that you would be gracious to us, that you would bless us and make your face shine upon us this morning, that your way would be known on the earth and your saving power among all nations. We pray, Lord, that you would awaken our desire for the peoples, all the peoples of the world, to know you, to fear you, to praise you, and to enjoy you. We pray this for our desire to reach our neighbors with the gospel here in this valley, all the way out to the ends of the earth. We pray for the reaching of unreached people groups all around the world. We pray, Lord, that you would stir up new missionaries to send from our body here in this room and in the children's ministry. We pray, Lord, that you would stir up missionaries from our kids, from our young adults, from our middle-aged people, from our seniors. Lord, we pray that we would have a desire to, to go to the nations. We pray, Lord, for those who would, who would go long-term, far away, learn a new language, endure hardship for the sake of your name and for the sake of you being known in the world. We pray, Lord, for Lorian um, as we send her today to an unreached people. We pray for their translation work. And we pray that this would all be for your praise and for the joy of the nations. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this psalm, it starts off as a, as a prayer, and it starts with verse 1. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Any of you guys recognize that? Sound familiar from somewhere? What's there? From number 6, right? So there's that famous blessing in number 6. We often do it as our benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so what the psalmist has done here is he took that benediction, that blessing, he turns it into a prayer. It's a prayer for God's people to receive grace. Grace is undeserved favor for, for God's people to receive favor. It's as if the psalmist is saying, give us your favor. We know we don't deserve it. Help us to prosper. Help us to feel your nearness. Help us to feel your love for us. And then he gives a reason for why God's people should be so blessed. Did you see it? You see that word that in verse 2? He says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth and your saving power among all nations. He's saying, God, bless your people so that we can be a blessing to the nations, giving them two things. Giving them knowledge of God's character. It says your, your ways known on the earth and with the knowledge of the gospel, your saving power. So, Bless us so that we can tell the world who you are, what you're like, and how to be rescued from your sin to him, how he is saved among the nations. Psalm 67, guys, shows God's desire, even in the Old Testament, to save the nations. 
You know, that the peoples, it says, or all the peoples, or the nations, or the ends of the earth would know and fear and worship and enjoy God, the God of Israel as their own God. Uh, Psalm 67 is really a mission psalm. And uh, you might be surprised to see that there's a psalm that's a mission psalm. You might have this idea of like, well, missions is kind of a New Testament thing, and this is the Old Testament, what's it doing here? But you know, guys, that verse 2 is actually a restatement of the Abrahamic covenant. Let me read to you the Abrahamic covenant. So God says this to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Doesn't that sound a lot like verse 2? So the psalmist is saying, God, we know that we have this calling in Abraham to bless the whole world, but we're really, really going to need your grace to be that kind of missionary people. That's what he's praying for here. And God has always had a heart for the nations. In fact, if you go back to Genesis, uh, God sent Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, into Egypt. I mean, it happened through the treachery of his brothers, but it was still God sending him into Egypt. God's people that were there for centuries. By the time the Exodus happened, there were lots of Gentiles who had come to faith in Yahweh, and they actually decided to leave with God's people in the Exodus. Did you know that? In Exodus 12, 38, it says that a mixed multitude went with them. There were multiple Gentile people coming with them. It was part of the way God was going to save people, even in Egypt back then. At Mount Sinai, Israel, right before they received the law, God ordained them as a kingdom of priests to remind them that they had a function, they had a ministry to the rest of the nations. You see God's desire to save the nations even as they conquered the land, you know, as Israel's conquering Jericho. God saves Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, and incorporates her into God's people. Later, during the time of the judges, a Moabite woman named Ruth gets saved. God's saving the nations. Both of those ladies were actually included in the line of the Messiah. During the reign of King David, even a Hittite named Uriah joined the worshipers of Yahweh. God made a covenant with David and told him that one day a descendant would come from him that would reign over the whole earth as a blessing to the nations. Israel flourished. Solomon led at that time, and uh, Israel was a light to the nation such that even like the Queen of Sheba came to investigate and go, who is this God and how is he blessing these people? Later on, God sent the prophet Elijah to minister to a Gentile widow in Zarephath. Elisha healed a Syrian army commander named Naaman. God even sent a missionary, Jonah, to warn Nineveh about the coming judgment so that they could repent and believe. Jonah's resistance to go and later his great unhappiness that they repented provides a beautiful contrast between God's heart for the nations, his love for the nations, and his people's ambivalence about the mission. Right? Even when God's people were disobedient and exiled in Babylon, God continued his mission. While these people are exiled in Babylon, God actually humbled King Nebuchadnezzar and saved him and actually inspired him to write part of the book of Daniel. This is pretty amazing, right? This is a missionary God. Throughout the prophets, God continued to tell his people about his plans to save the nations. I love what he said in Isaiah 49. He says, it is too light a thing that he's speaking to his Messiah, Jesus, in, in Isaiah, God says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the Gentiles, and my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. He's like, you're not just going to be Israel's Messiah, you're going to be the world's Messiah. Later on, he promises that there will come a day when all the nations will stream into Jerusalem because they're going to be so interested in who this God is. In Zechariah 8, there's a prophecy about a time, he says, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord, to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men of the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew and say, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That is amazing. God has always had a desire to save the nations. His people have not always been on board with it. But he's always had a desire and his mission has always continued. His mission has always continued because God himself is the ultimate missionary, right? Jesus, the Son of God, is the true missionary of Psalm 67. He is the one who, verse 1, enjoys all the blessings of God, even the shining face of his Father, and yet gave everything to save the nations. Jesus, who had all the blessings and fellowship of God, was himself cursed on the cross for our sins and the sins of people from every tribe and people and tongue and language. Jesus said this about his cross. He says, And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. You know, that him being lifted up in the cross was going to cause all men to be drawn to himself. And guys, we have the happy task of telling the nations about him. Amen? We have been blessed by God to bless others with the gospel. Verse 1, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth and your saving power among all nations. Now, God isn't calling all of us to go out as international missionaries like Lorian, but we are all called to live with a missionary mindset. We're all called to think about the place we're at because we are in the nations, by the way. We are at the ends of the earth here from the perspective of Israel. So you're, you've been sent here, even if you lived here always, and you should be thinking, why has God sent me here to this state, to this city, to this neighborhood, to this school, to this workplace? And why has God blessed me with all the blessings he's given me? Verses 1 and 2 tell us that we can find a way in which we can make his ways known and his saving power among the Gentiles. So we are a missionary people sent by a missionary God to send and be sent in the gospel. So what's our motive? This passage is great on motives. What's our motive for mission? Certainly gratitude is a motive. Verses 1 and 2 tell us we've been blessed. We've been blessed for this purpose. But he gives us two other motives in this passage. The first one is in verse 3. One of the motives we have, we spread the gospel because we want more and more people to worship God. Okay? When Lorian goes out or we have a brother and sister here that are missionaries in India, as they go, what are they going for? They want more and more people to worship the true God. Look, look at verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Guys, missions is about worship. It's about worship. John Piper says, you know, missions exist because worship doesn't. You know, there's a lack of worship out there. And one of our motives for sharing the gospel is the worship of God. Ancient Israel is a tiny country in a world full of people who didn't know or fear or enjoy the one true God. And the psalmist knows that's not right. Right? It's not right. That ought not to be. God should be praised. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Today's the same. People give their praise in our community to all kinds of false gods and idols. And you say, well, not here. People aren't really into idols. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> we are all very much into idols. And we're giving idols 
the worship that only God deserves, right? We give credit to our idols for God's creation, which he deserves the credit for, for his providential care, how he blesses us and protects us. So often we trust in our own idols of control and power and all the things that we can do or all the things other people have done. We should be giving credit to God. He deserves the worship. And there's so many people, guys, right outside these doors, even people in here, but you'll know about them in just a second. But right outside those doors, all across the world, there's so many people who have no idea how incredible Jesus is. Does that bother you? Right? There's so many people who have no idea about his incredible life, his love that led him to go to the cross, his victorious resurrection, his power and plan to restore the entire created world. People don't know. Doesn't that make your heart burn? Doesn't that bother you? You feel any loyalty to God? Doesn't your heart cry out, like verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You know, Don't you feel, feel like going around and shaking people gently and saying, you're worshiping the wrong thing. Let me show you who you should really worship. God deserves to be praised. Amen? In 1732, there were these two young Moravian Christians in Germany, and they had learned that thousands of uh, slaves, African slaves, were working in the West Indies on slave islands, like St. Thomas and stuff. A lot of these islands were, were slave islands. And they, they learned that these slaves had no access to the gospel. Most of them had never heard it. And they didn't know how they were going to get the gospel there, but they had a burden to do it. And they found out that if they would volunteer to work there, or maybe enslave themselves, they could get in that community and share the gospel. So that's what they did. They sold themselves into slavery. And as the ship left... The young men linked arms and they raised their hands and they shouted to their weeping families on the dock who they were never going to see again. This is what they yelled out. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. Amen? Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We share the gospel because our God needs to be known and feared and enjoyed that all the peoples would praise him. Our motive for mission is worship. There's another motive here too, though, that's, that's really related, and I'll show you guys how it's related. It's in verse 4. It's a second motive for mission. Why do we share the gospel? Why do we care? Why would we put ourselves in any kind of difficulty to share Christ and maybe even to go to a foreign land? Look at verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations on the earth. So here's another motive to share the gospel. So there's worship of God. We want all the peoples to praise him. And then there's this motive, the gladness and the joy of the nations. So it's about we share Christ for his worship and for their joy, for their eternal happiness. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a wonderful reason? Two wonderful reasons. You know, we want others to be as happy in God as we are. The psalmist gives some reasons why the nations are going to be happy with him in this too. He says, you know, I want the nations to all have joy in God. And then he says, the reason why they're going to have joy in God is in verse 4. He says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And then he says, for, it's purpose, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on the earth. There's a couple of reasons there why the nations, if they come to faith in Christ, are going to really, really, really love our God. They're going to really enjoy him. He's going to make them really happy. And there's a couple of reasons here. God is going to make the nations happy because God is a totally fair judge. Take a look at verse 4 again. For you judge the peoples with equity. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. A lot of you have been reading the Psalms more. But the Psalms are consistently happy about God's judgment of the world. 
And I think for us, you know, what modern Western people were like, this is weird. They rejoice in it over and over again. They're like, he comes to judge the world. This is good news. This is great. He's coming. He's going to judge the world. We tend to think as kind of modern Western people that God's judgment is his embarrassing side. Like, we'll talk about it, but maybe in hushed tones just around each other. And then you read the Psalms, the guy keeps singing about it super loudly. You know, and you're like, whoa, keep that down. That freaks people out. Guys, it's actually really good news that there's a judge over this world that's going to set everything right. That's actually part of the good news. It's good news that there is a judge who's going to make sure that in the end, everyone was treated fairly. You guys realize that? There is a God, a judge, who will make sure that in the end, everything was fair for everyone. You say, well, how's he going to do that? I have no idea. I never said I was going to do it, so I don't have to have an answer. But God says he is going to make sure that everything is fair. He judges the world with equity. And because he is the most trustworthy and wise and powerful person that I know, I tend to believe him. Okay? He's going to judge the world with equity. In a world, guys, that's so focused on justice, we're a little focused on justice, right? In a world so focused on justice, we have really good news that the one true God judges the people with equity. That in the end, this world will not be unfair to anyone. Be glad and sing for joy. He judges the peoples with equity. Secondly, God's going to make the nations really happy because he guides the world to a perfect end. He says, you guide the nations upon the earth. The events of, of history, the events of your life, the events of all the lives of people that have ever lived are not random. They're actually guided by an all-wise and sovereign God. And guys, this is really good news. It's really good news to know that the world isn't meaningless. You know that? I'll tell you, if you're not a Christian today, I just want to let you know this, and I think you know, is that if you don't have a God guiding the nations, you don't have meaning. Nietzsche talked about this, right? If God is dead, there's no meaning. You can't have meaning without him. It's totally meaningless if there's no God. And then all of your, or my, or the world's, inspirational memes that are out there are just lipstick on a pig, right? It's meaningless, guys, unless there's a God. The good news we get to tell the nations is that it isn't meaningless, that there's a good and wise God who's guiding all of this seemingly uh, senseless suffering to a supremely satisfying end, right? For be glad and sing for joy, for he, God, guides the nations upon the earth. God's also going to make the nations extremely glad as they receive him because God is the everlasting well of happiness. You know, we've seen in this psalm so far a few reasons that God is so satisfying, so good, makes us so happy. And it turns out that the, the more you look at him, the more reasons you're going to find. They're limitless. The more you look into God and who he is, and sometimes there's certain attributes or things like I just talked about judgment, and you were like, well, I don't know about that part. And then you look in and you're like, ooh, that's good too. Every single part of them is good. Every single part of them gives us joy. You could do this forever. You could endlessly find causes for joy in him. He is the best of all beings. He's the happiest of all beings. He's the only source of happiness that never runs out. If you, right now, want to be happy forever, do you want to be happy forever? I imagine there's some people that are like, nah. But I would assume most healthy people, right, Christian or non-Christian, want to be happy forever, right? If you want to be happy forever, this God is your only option, 
Okay? All other things and persons run dry. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. He is the only source of everlasting happiness. And we've done this thing, this crazy, crazy thing, which is we have, throughout our lives, in lots of different ways, tried to actively push him away. Okay? <laughs> source of all happiness. And we're like, nope, 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 nope. Oh, he's over here. No, no, no. Right? We've actively tried to push away the ultimate source of all happiness through countless acts of selfishness and self-centeredness. We've said we don't want him. It's crazy, right? It's a tragedy. That's what sin is. And God, worst thing he could do for us is to say, fine, right? Go into outer darkness, away from the presence of God forever, away from any joy, in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth because it's a place with no God, right? And yet that's not what he did. God's so good and he's so right and he's so strangely concerned with our happiness, (laughs) That he became a man himself. He lived a life we should have lived. He dies on a cross to pay the debt for our sin, all of our sins, so that he can welcome us today into his presence. And for any of you that don't know Jesus and you have been pushing him away, but maybe you were realize right now that that was a really unwise thing to do, to say the least, and you want him, Jesus is able to say to you today because he has already paid your debt, he can say to you today, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He can say right this morning, and he is saying this morning through me, saying this authoritatively, come be forgiven. Come rejoice in my perfect justice. Come enjoy my wise counsel. Come be glad in my presence. Because Jesus is giving that away for free instantly right now. Not going to put you on a payment plan. Not going to have like, you know, 12 steps to enlightenment. He will give you that immediately if you trust in him this morning. All you have to do is confess your sin, turn from it, trust in him. It's that simple. You say, well, I'm going to have to kind of get myself right with him and kind of work on things. And he's going to change your life, no doubt. But you get it immediately upon believing today. It's a gift, guys. It's grace. You just ask him for it. So the motive for missions, we have worship of God. We have joy of all people. And what's really cool about this is you might say like, okay, I get the worship for God. That's probably the real one. And then the joy one's kind of like an after effect. It's kind of the trailer that comes behind. It's nice if you can have it, okay? That's not the case. Our joy in God is core to what God's doing here. And I'll show it to you. This psalm has in a chiastic structure, and we have a slide for that. It's funny, if you've read a lot of commentaries, all commentators think there's a chiasm everywhere. (laughs) But this one really has one. And so a chiasm is, you see this kind of V-shape here? And so you've got the top matches the bottom, and then the second line matches the second to the last. And see how it works? See what's in the middle? So you've got blessing, blessing, you've got salvation, fruit bearing, praise, praise, and right in the middle is gladness. And typically in a structure like this, whatever's in the middle is super important. You're supposed to notice this. And we're not like Hebrew poets, so we miss all this. But what he's saying here, you see how like praise and gladness are like nestled together? You see how the two praise verses kind of hugging the little gladness verse, right? They're kind of nestled together. That's because there's a really tight connection, guys, between the worship of God and our joy. Turns out that true worship, the kind that really glorifies God, comes from hearts that are utterly delighted in him, okay? So this gladness is super important. 
Because true praise comes from true gladness in God. The worship that God wants is an overflowing of our happiness in Him, right? Gladness in who He is and what He's done. So our joy in God is actually the best kind of worship to give God. So God gets the worship, and we get the joy. This is an amazing deal. Have you stopped to think about that? Isn't it amazing this is the way reality works? That actually what God wants, the worship what God wants from us is our happiness in him? This is an amazing deal. It didn't have to be this way. This is the way it is, though. Don't you love that? Is this the way you thought religion was? That what God wants is he wants hearts that overflow in happiness for him and that we glorify him and our joy in him and that all the things that we do for him and for others flows from our just deep-seated contentment and happiness in who he is? This is all good news. So when we call others, guys, to believe the gospel and worship Christ, we're calling them to the highest and most durable form of happiness they can find. Okay? So when Lorian goes out and she's sharing with people, and by the way, they're doing translation work for people that don't have a Bible in their language. When they, she was talking about, like, we're almost done with John, they mean John for the first time in their language. It's incredible. An unreached people group getting the Bible in their language for the first time, reading the words of John, so amazing, in their own language. And so when she's doing this, she's actually calling the people there to find the highest and most durable form of happiness because it's only found in God. Guys, this is the best thing you can do with your life. Really famous psychologist, not a Christian, has this excellent advice. Find the highest conceivable good and then aim your whole life at it. Right? Find the highest conceivable good and then aim your whole life at it. Isn't that what you should do? That's what you should do. I would call the worship of God and the joy of all people the highest conceivable good. Right? I mean, maybe you guys have another one. We could share. This could be a small group. Anybody have a higher conceivable good than the worship of God and the joy of all people? No, right? You should aim your whole life at that. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about sharing the gospel with friends, when we're talking about sending missionaries, when we're talking about you going and giving the rest of your life somewhere else. Seriously, this is the highest conceivable good, to make God and his saving power known to all peoples for their eternal joy. And for some of you, you guys are finding my right now, or you already did, you find in yourself a burning desire to take this message to unreached peoples. Unreached peoples doesn't mean when we talk about nations, uh, ethne, when we talk about unreached peoples, we're not talking about countries, much smaller little batches of people that are isolated from one another in such ways that you need actual missionary penetration in each one of them. These are places where there aren't enough Christians or resources for that group to evangelize themselves. And so they're a high priority place to go. Estimates differ, and it kind of depends on how you measure them, but maybe there's 7,400 of them left groups like that. And God may be putting a burning desire in your heart to reach one of those people groups so that they would praise God and that they would be glad forever. And I would just say, if you have that burning desire, you should do it. Okay? So like, if you have a consistent desire to go to the nations, you should do it. Right? Yes. Period. Do it. Go. Right? You should do this. Like, you may say, well, you know, everybody wants to be a missionary. No, they don't. 
okay? When we, we first met Lorian, it was 16 years ago at a college ministry. It was in our house, and she was like, I want to be a missionary. And I'm like, yeah, all these people do. And because that's common in a college ministry. And she really did. But if you have a consistent desire to take the gospel to unreached people groups, that's not normal. That's God. You should do it. Okay? You say, well, what about this? You should do it. God gave Lorian a desire to go to the field. And I just think, what a blessing. I mean, to have in a little church like ours, to have a homegrown missionary reaching an unreached people's group, God has been very gracious to you. And if you want to go, we will send you, okay? Lorian's never lacked support. She was like, oh, I need money for a car, maybe $10,000. we are like, cool. She gets twenty. We're like, people, stop. No more. Don't give her any more money, you know? Get her too comfortable. No, I'm just kidding. No, Lorian's never lacked support, guys, and you won't either. If God's called you to go, we'll send you. The resources are there. It's the, it's the laborers that are few, right? And to the rest of us, God should be giving you a burning desire to support that, to send people, and to live that mission here. Because as I said earlier, we're not all called to be missionaries, but we are all called to live with a missionary mindset. You are in the nations. You are at the ends of the earth. The Great Commission is still ours, okay? And, um, and for some of you, this is the nation you've been sent to. The ends of the earth, you're at it for you. This is where God has placed you. How, how's that going? I love when Lorian was sharing some of the things she does there, and Josh was mentioning, like, these are things we can do here, like have people over and share the gospel with them. And, you know, it's stuff that we can do here, and we can do those things here, and we should do these things here. And so we have been blessed by God in countless ways to enable us to make the mission of Christ and the gospel known, verses 1 and 2, for the purpose of worship of God and the joy of all people, verses 3 through 5. And I want to tell you one last thing, which is this mission is certain to succeed. Okay? I'm not telling you, like, you should be a missionary and do all these things because, man, if we don't get enough people, I don't know if this is going to happen. Okay? It's not that kind of deal. This mission's going to succeed. Jesus said it. He said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all people groups, and then the end will come. Okay? That's the confidence you see even in Psalm 67. Look at verse 1. It's a request for help. And then verses 6 and 7, and with certainty, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. He's saying here, God is going to bless us, our missionary, and our mission to the ends of the earth. In fact, he's already blessed us. He's already blessed us with the greatest power for mission. You know what the greatest power for mission is? God's spirit within us. God has given us his Holy Spirit to bless us for mission. Talk about God being gracious to us. Comes to live in us. Talk about God blessing us. Talk about God shining his face upon us. You know, to fill us with his spirit. Jesus said this before he left. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. He said later, it is better for me to go away so that the Spirit will come to you in power. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then 10 days after his ascension, Jesus makes good on that promise, right? At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down into his people to live in and through us. And the effects were amazing. We read about them in Acts. There's supernatural loving community. There's powerful gospel testimony. And then the nations, what? They start praising God and enjoying him, right? At Pentecost, those people that were gathered there for Pentecost, when they went home, there were already believers in Iraq, Iran, Turkey, and Egypt, right from the beginning. As early as the first century, there were churches in Egypt. 
In the second century, there were churches further into Africa, like Sudan and Tunisia. A couple years ago, some archaeologists found the ruins of a Christian church in sub-Saharan Africa, which they believe dates to to the fourth century. Ethiopia was a Christian nation before Rome was. The church fathers, many of them from Africa, Tertullian, Origen, Athanasius, and Augustine were all Africans. There were Christians in India in the third century. There were Christians in China in the eighth century. Jesus' mission to the nations continues to this day in really powerful ways. You guys realize in the beginning of the 20th century, so 1900, about 70% of Christians in the world were from European descent. 70% beginning 1900. By the end, by 2000, it was like 28%. Why? Massive, massive shift in the church in Latin America and Asia and Africa. Massive explosion of belief in Christ throughout that century. In the past 10 years, for every one believer in North America and Europe, there are 30 new believers in places like Nigeria and Brazil and India and China. And this is the biggest shift of religious affiliation in history. And it's because of the gospel. (laughs) We actually have like objective proof of the power of the gospel, right? In 1900, Africa had about 10 million Christians, which represent about 10% of the population. By 2000, the figure was 360 million, so that now half of the population of Africa claims Christ. Half from 10% in 100 years. Last Sunday, there were more Presbyterians in church in Ghana than Scotland. The reason this is crazy is Presbyterians come from Scotland, okay? There were more Presbyterians in Ghana than in Scotland. There are currently somewhere around 68 million Christians in China. Within 10 years, there'll be more Christians in China by far than there are in the U.S. More believers gather on Sunday in China, and you know how they gather, than gather in all of Europe. There have been more Christian workers, more missionaries sent from Brazil to go to other countries than there have been from Britain and Canada lately. The Koreans send more missionaries than any other country except the U.S. Korea. They only have half of Korea. They send more than any other country except for the U.S. Guys, this is all headed to a worship gathering prophesied and seen in Revelation 7 when all nations will praise him. Let me read it for you. After this I looked. This is coming in the future. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Yeah. Let the peoples praise him. Let all the peoples praise him. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for he comes to judge with equity and guide the nations on the earth. And he will. Okay? He will. And what's really cool is you look a little further in Revelation 21, and you see the nations streaming into Jerusalem Just like Zechariah said, they're streaming into the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21 says this, By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Just like Zechariah promised. Now, there is still work to be done. Okay, You are still needed. We've got 7,400 unreached people groups. We've got prosperity gospels kind of rampant throughout missions, so that would be a really important thing for you to 
be involved in this. But guys, God is at work, and his mission will succeed. The gospel will be preached to all nations as a testimony, and then the end of the world will come. Jesus will do this. He is doing this. It's the most amazing work in history, and it's right there for all of us to see. And it's right there for all of us to be involved in. And I just say, don't miss out on the reason God's blessed you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in this commission you've given us to make disciples, to, to share Christ with others, and then to disciple them so that they'll share Christ with others. In this mission that you've given every single Christian, we just want to thank you that it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing to draw other people into the chorus to worship you. And it's such a beautiful thing that we would go out and face adversity and difficulty with the motive of your worship and the joy of all people. That's amazing. The happiness of the nations. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in any, whatever hindrance that we feel or think that we have in our lives to doing this both here and in the nations we pray lord that you would show us it's not a real hindrance if you're on our side that you'll provide the resources you'll provide the help you'll provide the courage to speak the gospel to a family member or a neighbor or somebody at work you'll provide that you'll provide the resources if we're called to go out to other nations you'll provide that Lord, just give us a certainty. Give us a joy in the mission and a certainty that you're with us. And like verse 6 says, our God has blessed us. He will bless us. We pray, Lord, as we worship now, we just thank you that this is a rehearsal for Revelation 7. And then even as we sing now, we sing in the presence of your people who have gone before us for hundreds and thousands of years. And we sing with your people around the world, and one day we'll all gather in one place. And what I gather from that passage is they're really having a good time because they're seeing you. They're enjoying you. They're rejoicing in you. Help us to do that now. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.